0: Please remain standing and turn with me in your Bible um, to Luke chapter 1, verse 67 to 80. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel.
1: Uh, Now please sit with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verse 25. We're reading from 25 to 35. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And the sword will pierce through your own souls also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is the word.
2: Holy Spirit, we thank you for the gift of your word, and we just thank you that we get to be here with each other and with you, Lord. We, we invite your spirit to speak to us now, and we invite your peace as well to be upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat, everyone. Okay. What are you waiting for? It's green, you better not be on your phone, I thought as I honked at someone who I will not name. Uh, I was frozen in front of me at the traffic light right before church last week. What are you waiting for? Who here has ever been asked that question? Like maybe, I don't know, maybe your parents shouted at you when, when you were young as they were trying to get you ready for, for school or even church. Um, or, or maybe a friend asked you that question when you were deliberating whether or not to ask out that girl or that guy. What are you waiting for? Or maybe you've been the one to ask the question of someone else, like me, last Sunday. What are you waiting for? And yet, we're all waiting for something. You're, you're waiting to see what I'll say or when I'll be done. We're waiting to see how our lives will pan out and what the future will hold. We're waiting to see if and when our circumstances or our life seasons and stages will change. You're waiting for that guy or that girl to notice you finally. Uh, Maybe you're waiting for your parents to get off your back or if you're a parent, maybe you're waiting for your overgrown child to mature. Uh, We're waiting for our luck to turn. We're waiting for the housing market to change. We're waiting for the next iPhone to come out. So in this Advent season, in the weeks leading up to Christmas, what are you waiting for? Take a moment and and ponder and, and complete this sentence. I would be happy if... fill in the blank. I will be happy when... blank and then turn to your neighbor and share. Now, I would be happy if, blank. Or I will be happy when, blank. Or even I would be a whole lot less unhappy if, fill in the blank.
0: All right, it, so, it sounds like we've all shared something.
2: Let's bring, it, let's bring it back in. And so what are you waiting for? And as we near the end of 2022, how is it panning out? Are you getting what you've been waiting for? Has it come? Has your moment come? Have your desires or your goals been met? If the answer is yeah. That thing, that moment I've been waiting for has come. Then are you happy? Do you have joy? On the other hand, if the answer is, now I'm still waiting, then are you unhappy? Will you continue to be unhappy until that thing that you've been waiting for finally happens or comes or changes? Will you only be happy once you've met that career goal, once you've hit that desired salary or that high score, once you get X amount of followers or even the blue check next to your name, once you've gotten that car or that house you've always dreamed of, once you finally have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or once you're finally married, or once you've traveled the world or you've experienced enough of life, whenever that will be. Maybe you're even waiting on the right experience of God, the right feelings from him. Or maybe you're waiting for him to do one very particular thing, to answer a very particular prayer. And maybe that prayer is even something that seems like it would be in line with God's desires. But he just won't answer in the way you want him to. And maybe you're waiting for healing or for reconciliation to take place in a relationship or in your family even. You're waiting for him to act in some way. But what are you waiting for? If we take that question one step further, you can almost ask it as, what are you making your joy dependent upon? What needs to go right? What circumstances need to change? What do you need to be feeling? And will you never have joy until it happens for you? What if it never happens? Maybe that's where you're at right now. Maybe you've waited far too long. It's been weeks, months, and years, and you just can't wait any longer. If Valentine's Day is a day that only reminds single people of their singleness, then Christmas is a day in which, for some, attention only gets drawn to broken promises. Pastor and author Christopher Ashe writes, Plenty of tears will be shed this Christmas for broken promises. Marriage vows cast away, business commitments reneged on, pledges of care and love lying torn up on the floor like discarded wrapping paper. For some, Christmas is a season and a day in which we feel the loss or the absence of a loved one more deeply than any other day of the year be that a friend, a spouse, a family member, even a parent or a child. Now, for some, Christmas is even remembered as the day that person left our lives. For others, it's a day that draws their attention to how they've been hurt, or perhaps how they've hurt others. And so as we wait, as we come face to face at times with the hard knocks of life and harsh reality, we become accustomed to broken promises and unmet expectations it becomes a sad norm and we've had promises made to us that were broken whether that was by a person or a thing or an ideology like this promised happiness but it didn't deliver and we've broken promises both to ourselves and to others you know, we wait for circumstances to change and they don't seem to. And yet we bank all our joy on these changes. I will be happy when blank. And it becomes an endless cycle of dissatisfaction that robs us of the possibility for joy. In the words of George Michael, last Christmas, I gave you my heart. But the very next day, you gave it away. This year, though, to save me from tears, I'll give it to someone special. It makes you wonder, did he say the same thing the year before that? And the year before that? In other words, are we stuck in the same cycles, waiting for this or that to bring us joy, only to meet broken promises? Either our circumstances don't change, and we are unhappy, Or our circumstances do change and we unfortunately find that it still doesn't bring us joy. To lose, lose. That achievement I worked so hard for. Why do I still feel empty? That job I finally landed. That thing I thought I needed. That picture perfect life I've tried so hard to get. Why do I still feel like it's not enough? So the question is, are we dooming ourselves to joylessness. We constantly bank our joy on things that don't deliver broken promises, and yet we try and try again, maybe this time, or maybe this time. As the saying goes, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So is there anything we can bank our joy on that won't let us down? Is there anything worth waiting for? In today's text, Zechariah and Simeon would say, well, yes, there is something truly worth waiting for, something that is not a broken promise or a false hope. Hopefully you still have your Bibles open to Luke. We're going to pick it up right at Luke chapter 1, verse 67. Um, if you're new to the Bible... I just want to give you some quick context going into today's text that will hopefully convey just how badly people like Zechariah and Simeon needed some real hope to come at the end of a lifetime and really generations and centuries of waiting. Up until this point in the Gospel of Luke, the Jewish people lived through centuries-long patterns of oppression and foreign rule. First, it was 400 years of oppression and slavery under Egypt. And then there were the years of exile in Babylon. And here, in the Gospels, the Jewish people were under Roman rule. And yet, throughout the Old Testament, we see prophecy after prophecy of liberation. God sends prophets to tell his people that the Messiah will come. A savior king who would bring justice and vengeance upon the oppressors and who would set the captives free. It's an amazing promise of hope for a people in desperate need of hope. But now through the years, God's people would oscillate between periods of faithfulness, holding fast to these promises and remaining faithful to God, but also periods of faithlessness and infidelity when they would forget God's promises and forget him altogether, turning away from him and turning instead to worthless idols. In other words, they would turn away from the promise keeper, God, and turn instead to false promises or broken promises, idols and false gods. And this plotline should sound and feel very familiar to our modern experience. And so sadly, after years of prophecy pointing to hope, followed largely by rejection, God decides to stop speaking. Enter 400 years of silence. And this is where we pick up our story. If you would have asked a Jew at that time, what are you waiting for? My guess is that the responses would have been pretty mixed. Some might have said, "Well, our tradition and our father, forefathers contain prophecies of Messiah." But that was a long time ago. God? We haven't heard from him in over 400 years. Clearly, he's left us. Maybe that's even how you feel today. God? I believed in him when I was younger, but I know better now. We're on our own. No one's coming. Chances are a lot of Jews probably felt that way. God, maybe he kept his promises a few times, but that was a long time ago. And yet a constant theme that we see throughout the Bible is that there is always a remnant that remains faithful. A remnant of people who continue to believe that God is who he says he is and that he keeps the promises that he makes. A remnant that continues to wait. The first person we meet in today's text is Zechariah, who would have been a part of that remnant. Zechariah was a priest. His wife was Elizabeth. Both of them were pretty old by this point, And Elizabeth was barren. She couldn't have kids. And you have to wonder, what kept them faithful? You know, what kept them waiting on God's promises of a Savior? This God seemed to deny them of children. I'm pretty sure they prayed for that. And that was a big deal back then, to not be able to bear children. And you have to wonder how hard it would have been to have been a priest in those years of silence. How did they still believe? Were they naive? And were they ever on the edge of not believing? Were they ever close to just giving up altogether? We all have moments when our faith wavers. We have moments of doubt, it's human. And so you have to wonder, experience those same moments? Let's find out. Turn back a couple pages to, still in Luke chapter 1, but we're going to pick it up at verse 8 right now. Luke chapter 1, verse 8, and we're going to read all the way through 20. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Put yourself in Zechariah's shoes. You're a faithful priest in the temple. You're holding out onto hope, waiting on God. And then one day, an angel tells you that your old barren wife will actually give birth to a son who will prepare the way for that long-awaited Messiah who apparently is finally gonna come. If you look closely, you can sense some tension here. Zechariah is holding on to faith. But maybe by this point, after 400 years of silence, he's at the edge of his faith. Maybe the fact that he's being visited by an angel just seems too good to be true. And so when the angel delivers the news, Zechariah can't quite believe it. He might have thought, man, what am I waiting for? It's been such a long time for our people. Could this really be news from God? Could it really be that my wife will give birth to a son whom I'm supposed to name John? Could it really be that the Messiah is coming right after him? We see in the text, he can't quite believe it. Now, seeing the change. Meanwhile, in another temple in Jerusalem, another man named Simeon waits. Simeon is also old. From the text, we can deduce that he's near the end of his life. And let me just say that something that happens when you enter into your 30s is that you start thinking more and more about mortality. Am I right, my fellow 30-year-old-plus friends? Stages and experiences of adult life, paying rent, buying a house, having a kid even experiencing loss and death, these things only magnify mortality and the reality that we will all one day die. Sorry to be a downer. Maybe not everyone does this, but more and more, I wonder to myself, like, what kind of old person will I be? Will I be a content, joyful old soul who still has a sense of humor and a sense of wonder, or will I be a misanthropic scrooge, jaded and hollowed out by years of mounting bitterness? What will I be like? What will you be like? How do we finish well? You know, we all know older people who still have a deep love for life, and their souls just radiate contentedness, peace, and joy. And we also know older people who are always grumpy not fun to be around who seem to just hate life and they're just waiting to die for someone as old as Simeon it would have been very easy to be jaded to give up on God's promises again it could have easily been God I believed in him when I was younger but now I know better we're on our own No one's coming. But somehow that isn't the case. We don't know much about Simeon other than the fact that he was quite old by this point. We know that he was righteous and devout, he was faithful. We know that he was filled with the Spirit. And here's the important detail the text says that he was waiting. And most people we know, most old people we know, retire move to Florida, take up hobbies like bingo or shuffleboard or whatever you call that Chinese chess game. But Simeon spends the last years of his life waiting at the temple. Can you imagine someone saying, when I retire, I'm going to wait on God. And yet, this is what Simeon does. And scene. Let's cut back to Zechariah. Who can't speak right now? The angel has silenced him because of his unbelief. But sure enough, what the angel says does happen. Elizabeth gives birth to a son. They name him John. And suddenly Zechariah can speak again. And immediately he blesses God. The spirit comes upon him and he gives the prophecy that we read earlier. Now, we don't have enough time to read the whole thing again, but I want to zoom in on a couple details. If your neighbor is asleep, nudge them awake right now. Remember, this is a prophecy, so what Zechariah says hasn't exactly happened yet. But notice the verb tense that Zechariah uses. He says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has. Visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets from of old, to show the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. God has done this as he promised. Past tense. As in, God has kept his promise. Sure enough, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the promised Savior, is born after this. God has visited and redeemed his people through Jesus. God has brought salvation through Jesus. A promise long awaited, but a promise kept nonetheless. This is what we remember in the season of Advent. That God did keep his promise. Jesus did come. Now jump back to chapter two. Jesus is born as, as is the Jewish custom. His parents Mary and Joseph bring him to the temple to present him and to make sacrifices according to the Jewish law. Now imagine, you are Simeon, you're old, near the end of your life, waiting just as your parents waited, just as their parents and their parents waited. Generations of waiting, up until this moment, when you no longer have to wait. You know, little kids can hardly wait the weeks, days, and minutes until Christmas morning. But this is centuries of waiting put to an end when a poor couple brings their little child into the temple. I am not a baseball fan at all. I'm told the Mariners made it to the playoffs for the first time this year since 2001. That's 21 years ago, many of you are not alive yet. This is 21 years of waiting. And we're not even talking the World Series here, which I guess is the baseball final. Just the playoffs. But fans went crazy. You know, for a season, Seattle sports fans didn't have to feel like the Mariners were one of the worst teams in Major League Baseball. Mariners fans got to say, for 21 years, we waited. So imagine what Simeon felt in this moment. My guess, is that he might have felt what Mariner's fans felt, what kids on Christmas morning feel, times 10,000 at least. Imagine his joy. For more than 400 years, for centuries we waited, for centuries we endured oppression and then silence, for centuries we had to wrestle with the question, what are we even waiting for? But now, I can finally see that our waiting was not in vain. It was not a waste of time. Simeon exclaims, Lord, now I can die in peace. You've kept your word. I have seen with my own eyes salvation. I have seen with my own eyes the one who will be a light and a blessing, not only to Jews, but also to Gentiles, to all peoples of the earth. I have seen with my own eyes the Messiah, the promised, long-awaited Savior, King Jesus. Waiting. That does not end in vain. Waiting on a promise that is kept, waiting that reminds us all that God is the promise keeper. Now sadly, it's a little more complicated than that. For Zechariah and Simeon, the arrival of the infant Jesus affirms all the prophecies of the Old Testament. They believe that this little child would grow to deliver Israel from its greatest threat and oppressor. Trouble is, not all Jews shared the same view as to who or what that threat and oppressor was. Most Jews expected the arrival of a majestic warrior king who would conquer Rome in justice and vengeance, return the kingship to Israel, and usher in a golden age. This was their expectation of all the prophecies. This is what they expected would eventually come after all the waiting. But God always has something far more mysterious in mind. And it's kind of amazing and kind of frustrating all at the same time. He always has something far more surprising in mind. And he, without a doubt, always has something far, far greater in mind than what our limited human minds and imaginations can dream of. But since this was their expectation, the arrival of this so-called Messiah was, for some, disappointment. When the Messiah came, born in a dirty, stinky manger to a pair of regular people, this was a massive letdown. Especially when it appeared that he was a bastard child how could this be the great Messiah we've all been waiting for? Now, many probably thought, I always thought the Savior I was waiting on would come onto the scene on a white stallion with a sword and a shield, and he would march to victory. Not on the back of a young cult marching to a humiliating death on a Roman cross. And to be fair, even Jesus' own disciples felt And this is why expectations are so important. The Jews of that day thought that Rome was their greatest enemy, their greatest threat and oppressor. Not sin, not evil, not the devil or the flesh or the world. Rome. And because this was their expectation, they completely missed the joy that was right before them. For them, God's promise was still yet to be fulfilled. And are we so different? Who do we think is our greatest enemy? Democrats? Republicans? Conservatives? Liberals? Secularism? Pro-lifers? Pro-choicers? Racists? White supremacists? Anyone who shares a different view from us? Or have we gotten so fixated on these groups and labels or on the byproducts of evil that we've forgotten the real enemy behind the scenes? Maybe we don't believe evil, sin, and the devil are real threats. Some people don't even believe in the concept of evil. Far less believe in the reality of a devil. It sounds outlandish. And so with expectations like this, why would the birth of the one who would bring an end to sin, evil, and death, who would conquer Satan, why would this bring us any joy? And maybe our minds don't even go to enemies. It's such a dramatic word these days. Maybe we're just focused on that next career move, that next exam to study for, the next college app that needs to be done. Maybe we're just focused on making some money or gaining some status and maybe some clout. Or we're just putting food on the table and trying to feed our families. Who has time to rejoice over this savior who's going to save us from evil and sin? And so we return to the question. What are you waiting for? Are we so caught up in waiting for the smaller things that we miss the biggest thing. And to be clear, I don't don't mean to make light of the small things that we have to take care of in life. That's not my intention. But what if, what if refocusing our lives, our minds and our hearts on the biggest thing actually allows all of the smaller things to fall into their proper place? What if the smaller things and the smaller desires of our heart are not actually our greatest needs? Pastor and writer John Mark Homer reminds us that our strongest desires are not actually our deepest desires. What if all these things we're waiting on in our lives? A change of circumstance, a little more luck, things to go our way. The house, the promotion, the wealth, the gains, the achievement, whatever it is. What if at the heart of all these desires is actually a deeper desire that can only be fulfilled by Jesus? Friends, we need to dissect all of our desires. We need to cut them open and look inside. The race for status. What lies beneath that? Is it anything more than a desire to be seen, to be appreciated or respected or even loved? The need for wealth and accumulation, what lies beneath that? Is it not a desire to be secure and provided for, all the while keeping up the illusion that we are self-sufficient, that we did this, we made it, we don't need anyone to help us or save us? Underneath that desire for achievement, Is it not a need to prove ourselves in some way, to stand out in some way, to prove our worth? I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with achievement, success, status-hungry people about childhoods and pasts in which they were lonely, unseen, overlooked, undervalued, and underloved. Stories of constant comparison, stories of struggle and broken relationships, stories of absence and abandonment, either physical and or emotional. And so all of these desires, all of these things we're waiting on in hopes that they'll fix us somehow, do they not all stem from either a fear, a pride, or a wound of some kind? And if and when these desires do get met, when you do make six figures, when you do make it big with your startup or your YouTube channel, I don't know, When you do have the house, and the cars, the family, whatever, are you any less fearful? Are you any less prideful? And does the wound go away? Or have you just layered five bandages on top of it? And what if it's all just one big cover-up? The great irony is that underneath all the things we wait on in this life, there is a wound that cannot be healed by bandages. All of our striving, we attack symptoms, but never the root cause. And so we look to things like forgiveness and salvation, and we say, "Mm, that's not really my greatest need. I'll pass. I've got more pressing concerns right now. Forgiveness, is that not the first step to reconciliation? Arguably one of the greatest needs in a world of hate and division? Is that not the first step towards healing the wounds inflicted on you by others? Is that not the first step towards healing the wounds that you yourself have inflicted upon others? Is this not the first step towards healing the guilt and shame that infects all of your decisions and actions? Is sin not the infectious condition that taints everything, including you and your relationships? Is it not the primary wall between us and God? And so is forgiveness not your greatest need. Or how about salvation, freedom? Are you free right now, like really free? Or do you have to check email right after the service is done? Are you really free, or is your hand twitching for your phone with withdrawals? Are you really free, or are you a slave to the opinion and the approval of others, to comparison, to addiction, a slave to your boss, your work, your grades, to your desire, a slave to your flesh, to the world, to a sin pattern. Is salvation not your greatest need? We think of salvation as this Christianese term that refers to some future afterlife, but we totally miss the point. Jesus brings salvation now. Jesus invites us to embark on the road to freedom Jesus has come to set the captives free now. Friends, what if, what if all our deepest desires only find their true completion and satisfaction in Jesus Christ? Dissect your desires and then evaluate your own methods. These things we're waiting for, the ways in which we go about trying to make them happen for us, Maybe we've achieved that goal, gotten that job, bought that house. Have you made it? Have you proven yourself? Do you have joy? Will you have joy tomorrow, next week, next month, next year? Are you done yet? Are you at peace? Or is it more broken promises? Has the flesh, the world, and the devil fooled you again? C.S. Lewis writes in his book, Mere Christianity, look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. Jesus himself puts it this way. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, just to be clear, this does not mean that if you seek Jesus first, you will get that car, that status, or that career. That's prosperity gospel, and it's false teaching that needs to die. But if you seek Jesus first, as you give him permission to enter into your life and deep into your heart as you surrender to him and allow him to do the work he wants to do, those things you always thought you wanted, those things you always thought you needed, you might start to notice that they aren't so urgent anymore. Over time, as the Holy Spirit purges and refines your desires, you'll find that your desires change. Some of you are experiencing that right now. And over time, you will realize that what you need most, what you need most for healing, what you need most for deep peace and joy in your soul is, in fact, Jesus. You'll find that like Zechariah, you can say, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed the people and he has raised up the horn of salvation for us. Like Simeon, you'll be able to say, Lord, now you are letting me die in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. As you go this lifelong internal shifting, the experience of the Holy Spirit transforming you, you will be able to celebrate this Advent season for what it truly is. A celebration of the birth of, of our true savior who has come to save us and to deliver us from our true enemies, sin, death, evil, and the evil one. We look back on a promise long awaited, but a promise kept by a promise keeping God. And we live in the present with an ever growing experience of his coming. Friends, True North, here in this community, we have seen real signs and glimpses of the in breaking kingdom of God. You've seen it, you've felt it. The Holy Spirit is on the move here in this place, and it's undeniable. I've had the great joy of talking about it with so many of you, and those are your words, not mine. Undeniable presence as we look back on a promise kept, Jesus' first coming, as we live in the present reality of the very real presence of the Holy Spirit, we look forward to his second coming when he will return on a white horse in majesty and glory to put an end once and for all to sin, death, evil, and the evil one. So what are you waiting for? Perhaps it's time to cast aside the broken promises and the failed methods. Maybe it's time to turn to the one promise that has been kept. Why not wait on the one who is worth waiting for? Why not wait on Jesus, who has come? Who is here and who will come again. Let us stand together and pray. Father God, we thank you that you have kept your promise and that all these years of waiting have not been in vain that our waiting now is not in vain. Because we get to look back on your promise kept. We get to look back on the fact that you came once. We get to live in the reality that you are here with us in spirit now. And with that, we get to look forward with hope and assurance that you will come again. And so Jesus, we pray that your presence would be felt more deeply every day of our lives. We pray that you would come more fully. We pray that we as a people would welcome your kingdom as we await its full arrival. Lord. And as we wait, Lord, we pray that you would continue to fill us with hope, that you would lead us ever deeply into peace, and into joy. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. Um, At this time, we're going to enter into silence to reflect. And so the first question I want to pose for reflection is the same refrain we've been returning to again and again today what are you waiting for are you waiting for a life situation or a circumstance to change are you waiting for an opportunity to finally open up are you waiting for a pain or a hurt to just somehow vanish Are you waiting to see whether that friend, that estranged relative, that parent, or even your own child will speak to you? What are you waiting for? And attached to that question, what is your joy dependent upon? What is your joy dependent on? next if you can i know this is a big question but take stock of the desires that are on your mind and in your heart group them all together lay them out and dissect them what lies at the heart of each desire